Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined by Stefan Thomas, our rugby correspondent. Steph, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Always uh, better going into work when uh, one wheels of one, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, spoiled you with three podcasts uh, last week. I think it's going to be just one uh, this week, but in fairness, we've got plenty of positive stuff to talk about. It's... Um, couple of days now since Wales secured their place in a World Cup quarterfinal with a 40 points to 6 victory over Australia and Lyon. Uh, we would have done this yesterday but frankly I didn't really sleep until uh, last night. I got 48 hours straight uh, being awake with an early train from Lyon to Paris yesterday morning. Um, so we thought we'd do it today when I, I, I'm a bit more coherent and make a bit more sense. Steph I mean I think, certainly, personally, I was expecting Wales to put in a statement performance um, against Australia. I think there was a little bit of a hard edge around camp in terms of they felt they hadn't got the credit they deserved. I don't think anyone expected quite this, though, did they? No, um, before the game, I I was expecting it to be a quite a quite a tight tussle that went down to the wire because as bad as Australia have been, you know, there's still a lot of quality individual players. Eddie Jones, you know, obviously had another results. Um, but you know, he's had success in the past. So I thought the fact that Australia had to win to to avoid getting knocked out of the pool stage and, you know, all this noise in the background from people like Tim Horan saying the biggest game in Australia's professional history and um you know, they could be damaged into Australian rugby. I thought they'd throw the kitchen sink and more at Wales, but it just didn't didn't materialise. Australia had some early pressure, but Wales are always in control. And um, for all Australia's shortcomings, I think people do need to give Wales a bit of respect. Um, there's a narrative after the Fiji game that uh, Fiji lost that game or Wales didn't win it but in my opinion that that's very disrespectful and um, this Welsh team has improved significantly since the Six Nations and um, I, I agree with you that was a that was a serious statement of intent from Warren Gatlin's men yeah I mean you look at that I think the Australia game is probably what the Fiji game could and should have been they got them they built themselves a nice lead against Fiji and then they literally with the last 13 minutes almost imploded but the the sort of the official tournament sponsor, um, I forget who it is, due to the statistics, their 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 probability sort of ratings of that Fiji game. I think the minute Dan Bigger kicked a penalty in something like the twenty fourth or the twenty eighth minute, Wales were always winning that game right through to the very end. About the sixty five minute mark, it was very near a hundred percent probability they'd win. Uh, dropped a little bit towards the end, um, but they they were never losing that game according to the sort of probability whatever metrics they're using. And I think, yes, Sunday was an extension of that where they built a lead, but this time they just kept their foot on the throats of Australia and just continued to just chip away at, at the sort of the Wallabies eroding confidence, you know. Bar, bar that first 15 minutes where the Wallabies looked looked okay uh, in attack, you know, I think they they solved a lot of their breakdown problems from the week before. They offered nothing. I think I think Wales were smart in what they did. Um, I think they'd seen how Fiji went at them at the breakdown and they knew that there would be some sort of response to that from the Wallabies, so they, they went at them a completely different other way. So last week, uh, 
Australia just looks so shapeless in St. Etienne and it just it allowed so much separation for, for Fiji to get on over the ball with, with just the, the vast amount of jackal threats they have. So what Wales did is Wales probably saw that coming, knew that Australia would be smarter with their ball retention. So you just take the jackal out of it and they and they just choke tackle to great effect. A lot of fantastic ch- tackle choice. I think Tompkins, uh, George North, um, you know, particularly North, maybe doesn't get credit for his tackle choice and his defensive work since he's moved to the centre. But I thought that they they were excellent in terms of that, just continually holding up Australian ball carriers. It slows them down. It, it affects their ruck speed. You get choke tackles, and it, and it just worked a great effect um, from a defensive point of view. So, yeah, it, it was just such a smart performance by Wales. Yeah, it was. I think you make a good point about the breakdown as well because. After the Fiji game, the one criticism I personally had was that Wales weren't slowing down for GM Ball. But I did a bit of digging and um, my source is telling me that it was a, a conscious decision not to commit too many men to the breakdown. They thought that it was going to be very difficult to win the collision, so they needed men up on their feet. And I think it's probably a similar thing against Australia. Um, so it's actually really smart coaching from, from Warren Gatland and his assistants. And, you know... The the key thing is, you know, we've all spoken about people like Jack Morgan, uh, George North, as you said. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of Talupe Falatau. There's a lot of players there that again a lot of lot of credit and rightly so. But there's a lot of unsung heroes as well. Um, the Warren Gatland has has just managed to get the best out of. You know, people like Aaron Wainwright um, didn't get a look in under Wayne Pivak, but Gatland seen something in him. He likes he likes the sort of the individual parts of his game which he brings and he thinks he can he can add that to the team and he's got the best out of him. Ryan Elias, Elliot Deedon Stapp, he's coming off the bench, he's he's had a real resurgence of late. Um so there's there's a lot of players in that squad that aren't the most fashionable players that get the credit on social media, but Warren Gatlin's really got a tune out of them. I think it's it's good man management. Um it's something that was perhaps lacking in, in the Wayne Pivak era. So you know, there's a, there's a lot of real unsung heroes in this squad, and it's a it's a team effort, and um, it's quite intriguing to see where, you know, how far they can go in the competition. Absolutely, I mean, obviously we're into a into the quarterfinals now. After this game against uh, Georgia still to come, which, you know, obviously Wales will want revenge for for a year ago when they lost to Georgia in Cardiff, and they'll want to secure top spot in the group. Um, and then you're looking maybe at a quarterfinal against Argentina or Japan. Semi-final gets a bit hard if they get through that. But I mean, there's there's not a lot to fear for Wales. And I think they've they've settled comf- comfortably on their sort of their game model now. I think Josh Adams spoke last week about how they're, they're just they're confident in the game model. They know their game model is really good, and it's it's just about being really hard to beat, which is. You know, sounds an obvious thing, but you look at the Wallabies and you look at what Eddie's done since he's come back. And I know Eddie Jones is getting a lot of stick from from all angles. Um, it's something when Warren Gatlin doesn't want to sort of put put the boot in because uh, he knows that Eddie's getting it, you know, from both barrels. But ever since Eddie Jones has taken that Wallabies job, he's everything's been do or die. Everything's been we're going to win the World Cup. I'm I'm not here to do this. I'm here to win. And it just it puts pressure on results rather than process. And he he claimed then 
post-match that, well, I couldn't come out and talk about the process because that just look, looks like I'm buying time and it's an excuse. But every everything he's done has been quite bombastic in the sense of, look, we're here to win. G- Gatland's never spoken about winning since he came back. And I think Gatland's got a few things wrong during the Six Nations. I think there were a few missteps, but ever since he sort of turned his attention to the World Cup and they've had four months together as a squad now that, you know, just such such a lengthy preparation time. I think he's been really good with his with his sort of messages, both inside and outside the camp. It, it, it's about making the team hard to beat. It's about just working hard for one another. And then I think from that, the results almost take care of themselves. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Um, so it, it, it has been fascinating to see those two different sort of approaches and, and, and how they've worked out, you know, Gatlin's never made any sort of promises on what Wales would do at the World Cup. All he said is he thinks they can do something special. And he said it enough times and he's clearly said, you know, stuff behind the scenes that the players believe it. But it's, there's never any sort of specific value on on what he wants out of this Wales team. Whereas, you know, Eddie's almost promised the world uh, to Rugby Australia and, and, and to the, the Australian public and, and, and has come unstuck because of it. Yeah, I think... Uh, I remember Warren Gatlin saying in a in a podcast I listened to uh, a few months back that in his eyes, um, success is overachieving. So, it, obviously, for a country like New Zealand or South Africa, not winning the World Cup is a failure. But obviously, when you look at our player playing pool in Wales, I mean, Gatlin said, you know, got the smallest um, resources in many ways of all the tier one nations and, you know, obviously all the all the rubbish has gone on behind the scenes politically. Um, so again, to semi-final would be, would be overachieving in most people's eyes. So I suppose that would equate to doing something special. One thing I would say is if Wales get into the quarterfinals, the likelihood is, um, not certain, but the likelihood is they play Argentina Less, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, obviously, but over the last four years, Argentina have beaten the All Blacks twice. They've beaten the Wallabies a few times. They've beaten England at Twickenham. Yes, they, they were terrible against against England um, in the opening game in Marseille, but they're a team who can win big one-off games. So that's a losable game for Wales if they play that. So they, they need to give them that respect. But I think it, it would be a game that they'd be favourites in. But I think if Wales did make a semi-final, as you said, it gets harder after that. They'd probably play Ireland or, or the All Blacks. Um, but I think when, when, you know, when Wales have won Grand Slams in the past, they've gone into the Six Nations and all the experts have been ruling them out, you know, because of the problems at regional level and poor results there and maybe the autumn hasn't been great. But they've won the first game, you know, which has never been perfect. Think about France 2019, yeah. you know, they, uh, go back to 2008 England and Twickenham. Wales didn't actually play that well. They just found a way to win. They got over the line. And then all of a sudden, similar to Fiji, not perfect, but got over the line. Momentum grows, confidence grows. And then bef- I remember in 2019, my dad telling me before the tournament, oh, there's no chance of beating England. You got absolutely no chance. But the Welsh players, their confidence grew, momentum grew. And they believed they could do things that nobody thought they were capable of before the tournament. And I think there's a lesson there. If Wales play Ireland, you know, their players are, you know, they're, they're, they're well acquainted to Irish players. Um, they, what Wales have got, they've got a real claustrophobic defence again, which can get even better. I think Forshaw's doing a great job. 
they their error rate is getting lower and lower by the game. Their discipline still needs to improve, but it's getting better. When you've got a strong defence like that, when you've got a team that's fighting for each other, um, a team that believes, a team that's got momentum and confidence and a world-class goal kicker that can control the game, you've always got half a chance. So Warren Gatner would be telling his players, right, you know, first things first, we've got to get to the semi-final. But when they get there, they'll have momentum behind them. They'll have been unbeaten. You know, Wales are going to be a tough team to beat, as Corey Domachowski said. So um, this team has got a lot going for them. And I think Warren Gatland, the turnaround has, has just been remarkable, considering all the outside noise. It's uh, it's arguably the best, it could be the best achievement of his career. Yeah, I think, I think it could. I was asked to sort of... I was asked on the radio the other day, like, where will this, where will this sit? And it's hard to tell because at the minute, you know, before they hadn't beaten Australia at that point. But I think if they do get to a semi final, then, then yeah, you are probably looking at maybe his his best achievement. I mean, twenty nineteen came off the back of, uh, well, maybe you know some of the just the longest period of success maybe in the. In the professional era uh, for Wales, in terms of a Grand Slam, um, a, a lengthy winning streak, and, and a sort of rise to number one in the world, um, twenty fifteen they probably fallen off a bit of a cliff from four years prior, but they they still went into the Six Nations that year, you know, with a chance of winning it on the final day, and um, you know, twenty eleven is is maybe the the closest to this in the sense of it was a, a slightly poor Six Nations where they didn't quite know what they were doing. Uh, 12, six months before the tournament and then, you know, they, they, they found their their feet with with a younger squad. Um, but yeah, n- n- nothing's compared to to quite like this. You know, you think 280 odd days ago, Warren Gatland stood in a, in a hospitality box in the Principality Stadium uh, at some WIU Christmas drinks Looking a little bit sheepish and a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest. Um, the fact that he's the centre of attention because he's he's back in Wales and he's got the job, you know, cut cut to a couple of months after that, <laughs> we're all stood around the Vale of Glamorgan Hotel for for hours on end, you know, not sure if the game against England's going ahead, um, and you know, there's just stuff coming out from all angles. You know, you've got players speaking off the record about just how horrendous it is. You've got. Warren Gatland in his in his newspaper column, you know, expressing how hurt he is by the fact that he the players don't seem to think that he cares about them. Uh, he's admitted afterwards that there was a massive divide in the squad at that point. Uh, Liam Williams said last week, I think that, that certainly those those training camps in in Switzerland and Turkey helped to to get some of the home truths out there. And I think since then it's it's been you know quite a united front. The the boys seem really happy around camp um, just just seems a really relaxed environment in Versailles and it, it is it is mad how, how quickly things have, have turned around um, and that that's not to sort of say all is all is right with Welsh rugby because of course it isn't you know I think <laughs> we'll, we'll soon have a reality check when we, we, we get back after this World Cup I mean you know there's perhaps no better reality check than the fact that, that Wales are playing the Barbars on the same weekend as a Welsh derby the week after the World Cup final. Like if, 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 if anything shows you that not not everything is quite right with, with Welsh rugby just yet, that's it. But this is what Warren Gatland is is really good at doing. It's, it's just taking teams when he has 
enough preparation time, he's a really good tournament coach. And he's taken this squad four months together and he's made them believe. And they're they're so they're just gonna be hard to beat. And that's that's the key, is is whoever beats them in the semi-final will have to put them away. And that's that's almost the gauntlet that Warren Gatland teams throw down to you. It's that you've gotta you've gotta beat us today. You've gotta put us away. And that's sounds a simple thing, but sometimes it's it's hard, you know, easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, as I said, we they gotta to get to the semi-final first and uh, Argentina won't be be a pushover, although Wales Wales um would be favours for that. Um one question I've got for you. Um I've been pondering this since since um full time really on, on Sunday night. Do you think there is now a assuming Dan Bigger's fit for the quarterfinals, which which we hope, do you think that it's a foregone conclusion that he starts? Or is Gareth Anscombe now a serious challenger like he was four years ago to the number ten shirt in, in the big games? That's a job to it's a it's a tough one to answer that to be honest, because I certainly thought before the Australia game, I felt that the Dan Bigger was crucial to Wales in the sense of, I think we saw that against Fiji, literally the minute he went off, Wales were in control of that match for 67 minutes. And then he goes off with it, you know, he was struggling with back spasms. Um, and I think from there on, Wales maybe have 20, 21 seconds of possession in that final 13 minutes. And it's just Fiji pressure, Fiji pressure, just all the way through. And it just it just felt like where we were with uh, with Anscombe, who had very limited preparation time, and Sam Costello, who's still, you know, so inexperienced at this level. You know, his time will come, um, but you know, he needs to he needs to be exposed more to this this sort of this level of the game. It just felt like we almost needed Dan Bigger to do what he was doing. I mean. What he was doing, you no, know, just a couple of years ago, you know. I think if you think back to some sort of a lot of games under under Gatland prior to that 2019 stretch where Anscombe was in the ten jersey, and then again when Wayne Pivak effectively used Dan Bigger in virtually every match of his reign, like very few games where he started another ten. It was, you know, Bigger would always tend to be an 80 minute player you know there, there was a there's a lot of games i can recall where whoever the replacement fly half was didn't get on because it was just seen that right to see this game out we still need damn bigger onto the pitch at the very end and it maybe felt like we were getting towards that um you know if you look at that 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 fiji game but yeah the way the way Anscombe played on the weekend not surprised because he is a top quality player and I always felt like the Portugal game was more about blowing away the cobwebs than than, than sort of needing to prove anything. Um, but yeah, it, it was just a, just a stunning performance in terms of game management. You know, we saw a drop goal, which, you know, Wales fly half seemed to love against Australia um, in World Cups. Uh, and just everything, you know, the the, the kick for the, the try, it was it was so 2019, you know, I, I immediately thought of Hadley Parks' try against Ireland um, in that Grand Slam game, which is which was a similar performance in the, in the way that Wales built a score early on and then just let the opposition, you know, run themselves, you know, into a, into a brick wall all day long. 
So it, it is an interesting one. I don't, I guess a lot depends on the Georgia game and, and how bigger is heading into that quarterfinal. The problem is because Anscombe wasn't fit for the warm-ups, we don't know if this was ever his intention to do what he did in 2019 with Bigger being that 20-minute replacement. I was still... I'd still say Bigger to start the quarterfinals. But the, the brilliant thing now is you, you could literally play it either way and you would not have any doubts about it working or any sort of reservations. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree, but I think with you know with Anscombe, he, he's just he does bring a different dimension as well to bigger and attack. I don't buy into these people who say that bigger can't attack because he's actually a really smart attacking ten. But just just some of the things Anscombe does, uh, ball in hand, um, his peripheral vision, his passing game, the the chips over the top. Um, I, I would agree. I would start with bigger in the quarterfinal or a semi-final, but having a fully fit Gareth Anscombe somewhere near his best. I'm not saying he's peak 2019 form, but he's not. He's not a million miles away. I mean, that that's a big, big asset to Wales. I think having a, a finisher to use Eddie Jones's terminology, which I hate of um, of that standard on the bench. I just think. That just gives Wales such a quality option. And if you are going to go really deep in the World Cup, you need that. Because that's the one thing that perhaps Wales haven't got is is that depth. You know, the, they've been relatively lucky with injuries so far, but they lose a couple of key players and, um, you know, there, there's there's a big drop in quality, I think. I mean, obviously, players know their roles, there's clarity and stuff, but how much of an impact, you know, as a difference as Tarupi Farletau made? You know, Aaron Wayne has been superb, but Farletau at number eight... He's just he's just a different class. He's just a genuine world class player, and as watching the game back, and obviously though know, Jack was outstanding, Gareth Davis, a guy we haven't mentioned yet, arguably the best game of his international career at thirty three. But some of the stuff Farletau does, the stuff that people don't necessarily pick up on the fir- on first viewing, or if you're not um, a rugby anorak, he he is a an absolutely phenomenal all round rugby player, and. Just just having a fully fit Farletau is going to really boost Wales' chances as well. So the key for Wales, I think, is that, you know they, they got some impact off the bench, but on the whole, they, there's a core group of players that they can't do without, and um, that's going to be key as well. You know, avoiding injury moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And Touchwood, they've been quite good with injury so far. I see Tommy Raffles um, had an issue with his calf, which hopefully, I think will. You know, will be sorted moving forwards. You know, had he played that Portugal game, it probably would have been this tournament done. Um, you know, any any sort of pull or you know strain straining that game, and he's probably at the tournament. So they they made a a, a smart move there. Um, but otherwise, I think it's been largely smooth sailing. Uh, Lee Halfpenny and Nicky Smith did a sort of limited training last weekend uh, last week, sort of bit of conditioning and stuff. You know, but that's again. I think we've seen that with Lee in terms of personalised programmes after games. It was the same with Jack Morgan. Jack Morgan didn't do much training last week, but then, I mean, that he shouldn't because he he was doing weights and conditioning the day of the Portugal game. And then got thrown in and put in a man-of-the-match performance and, again, was just superlative on Sunday night. I mean, it's it's hard to... 
almost describe just just how important a player he's become for Wales. Um, you know, you think you think of the open sides we've had in recent years, you know, when when Sam Warburton retired in twenty seventeen, that was a bolt from the blue, you know. Or twenty eighteen rather, wasn't it? It was twenty eighteen because he hadn't really played for a year post that seventeen tour. Yeah, so yeah. You know, that was a sort of a bolt from the blue. Um but you know, you still had Justin Tiprick and then Justin goes and announces his retirement uh earlier this summer and again it's just a, another massive shock. But you know, Jack Morgan has made that seven jersey his own. He just he's just into so many different things and everything he does you can't really describe it. Every action he does just has an impact on his teammates in the sense of just how sort of rousing it is. You know, like his carries are just huge. And, you know, I can't remember which player it was. Um, but one of the players I was speaking to early in the tournament, they basically said, they were speaking to Mike Forshaw in training and they said, every time I see Jack Morgan make a hit, it makes me want to make an even bigger tackle. Because when you see a guy like that do that, you know, you, you have no choice but to match it. And, you know, just everything he's doing right now is is just ridiculously good. The 50-22, the, 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 the break for the try uh, was just a lovely, a lovely work try. You know, it's the same, it's the same line-out move they ran against Fiji uh, for, for Josh Adams' try. Same line-out move they literally ran about 40 seconds into the match. Except this time Tompkins pulls the pass back inside to Morgan and he's straight through a gap. Just really, really simple, really efficient attacking play. I think Alex King deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing. With Wales's strike moves off scrum and lineouts, I think they've looked really good in that sense. Um, but yeah, Jack, Jack Morgan right now just looks superlative. I also think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with Dewey Lake moving forward. Um, I know I've, I've copped a lot of stick from some quarters for saying that Ryan Elias deserves to start, but I thought Elias was superb against Fiji and and the Wallabies is throwing in has really improved, which was the Achilles heel. But he does a, a lot lot of good things in the in the tight. You know, he's a very physical player, he carries, gets through a lot of work. You know, he's the sort of guy that makes everyone else's job easier. And obviously Elliot D as well, he's he's finally fit and he looks like a good bench option and he's probably uh got the straightest um arrows of, of the three hookers but in in terms of Lake I mean obviously he's he's a phenomenal athlete he's his ceiling is probably higher than the other two stylistically he's similar to Malcolm Marx in terms of he can win turnovers at the breakdown he's he's a he's a brute in in the contact you know really dynamic carrier in the tight and in the wide channels and he can do stuff that most other hookers aren't capable of but the set piece has been a problem. You know, it's it's the one thing that he needs to... If he can improve his throwing in, he could be one of, if not the best hooker in the world. But at this moment in time, I mean, I imagine Lake might have a run out against Georgia. But when he comes to knockout rugby, I don't see how Gatlin can drop Elias. Um, you know, it's interesting, obviously, because Lake's co-captain and he's got a big future. But he, he's got a real tough job getting back in his team, I think. Uh, and Elliot D, as I've said, has has done um, a sterling job from the bench. He's added real impact and real stability late on in games. So it's just going to be interesting to see how Lake responds to um, 
to Elias and D's form. Yeah, it is. It is going to be fascinating. It's always it's always hard to get into teams when they're winning, um, and that's that's the challenge that Dewey's got at the minute. Uh, I think if you're looking looking at it in terms of the three of them as hookers, it probably is going to be a shootout between uh, Lake and Elias for that starting role, and and Elliot is probably the bench option, just in in the sense of. I think Elias and, and Lake are very similar in terms of their physicality and, and, and how they are around the park. Whereas Elliot D is more, he's a smaller option, but he's more energetic. And um, I think he just gives you some, you know, Warren Warren said when he picked the squad that, that he was the one who gave them something different from the other three hookers they had. They obviously had Sam Parry in at the time as well, I think. Well, yeah, Ken, Ken to begin with, then Sam Parry came into the squad. But Elliot was always the one who offered them something a little bit different, you know, if you look at the Dragons, they could have gone with uh, Bradley Roberts instead, but they went with Elliot D. And I think this is the reason why Gatlin's a massive fan of him. Had almost groomed him to be that sort of replacement for Ken four years ago. It's not worked out uh, in the four years since the Japan World Cup, but he, he, he's back in the squad. So it does feel to me like it, it is a case of it's 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 either or with Elias and, and Lake, and then D is the point of difference on the bench from the two of them. Um, and it's going to be very hard to, to knock Ryan Elias out of the squad. You know, he, again, he's someone who himself has been in that situation that the lake is in right now. Um, in terms of maybe having a few issues at the line out, uh, you know, Ryan probably copped a lot of heat. I think, you know, when Ken was out for, for a couple of campaigns, you know, I think Elias got a lot of criticism, uh, under Pivac but so it's great to see him sort of in a starting role and 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 just just being fantastic at the minute but I don't know it's a, it's a long tournament and I think Lake Lake will have some sort of there's going to he's going to be there's going to be some sort of involvement I think later down the line with him and and again as co-captain I think you know Warren will be making the point that it's, it's you know he, he said it's not about the fifteen, it's not about the twenty three, it's about the thirty three, and yeah, Lake Lake as co captain is gonna is gonna have a a massive say I think in, in this tournament somehow later down the line. Yeah, but I I just think as good as Lake is, you know he could be the best player in the world, best hook in the world around the park, but if you aren't um, throwing in straight to the line out and you're not accurate there, then you can't be selected and I just feel Elias is um comfortably ahead of this moment in time. But you know, that's that's just international rugby and it's it'll be exciting to see how how Lake responds because as you said, he's he's just he's got so much class as a player, so much potential. He he is going to respond. So whether it's in this World Cup or or the next four year cycle, he's got a big future. But I just feel for now Elias is the best option. The in terms of selection moving forward, um it depends on fitness, but do you think that we may see a situation? I mean, Aaron Wainwright has has been very good, quietly effective, but as we said, Wales have made a conscious effort, maybe not to compete over the ball as they may have done in Sam Warburton's era, because he was he was a freak in that in, in that area. But do you feel that there'll come a time where he'll want Raffle and Morgan on the field at the same time because? Morgan is the better all-round player, but 
you'd describe Morgan as a constructive open side, whereas Raffle is a destructive open side, and Raffle might be a little bit better over the ball, slowing ball down, winning turnovers. Do so you think there'll come a time where Gatlin might need that from Raffle? Um, from a from a bench perspective, perhaps. I don't think from a starting perspective at the minute. I think Aaron Wainwright's nailed down our six jersey now. It's just been superb. He gives he gives Gatland exactly what he wants uh, in terms of a six, which is just physicality, winning collisions, and, and and just being energetic. We've always known that that Aaron Wainwright's got a fantastic engine, and you know he just gets through so much work. I think under Pivac, maybe he wasn't always directed in the best way. Um, you know, it's easy to forget that I think Aaron came to the game quite late. Um, you know, he was in Cardiff City's academy at one point. And I think maybe Warren probably directed his efforts in a better way than maybe Wayne did. I think Wayne got caught up with trying to play him as a, as, a, as an eight in the wider channels, which, I mean, he certainly got the athleticism to do so, but I think you probably lose something in terms of just his overall work ethic. You know, I think when you've got a guy like that, you, you, you just want to get them into as much stuff as possible. You know, you, we, we, we've seen that in this tournament. I mean, Jack Morgan's 50-22, the guy who's chasing it the most, you know, who, who's closest to the ball as it goes out is, is Aaron Wainwright. And that that's just, just a mark of the energy he brings. So I think he'll be the starting six from now on. I think when Raffle is fit, he'll come back onto the bench and then you can potentially look at moving Jack Morgan to six later in games to have that sort of six, seven tandem. But yeah, I, I think I, certainly in the first three games, Wales haven't placed a massive em- emphasis on, on breakdown. Uh, so that, 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 that traditional side of the breakdown in terms of shackle threats, I think, I think that the first thing is winning collisions. Um, and again, that's, that's probably where Wainwright's strengths lie. Um, so I, I don't see Wales reverting to a to a dual open side six seven sort of thing in this tournament. Maybe later in games, depending on who they decide to bring off the bench. But yeah, I don't. I don't. Know, I'm just trying to sort of picture who they they could play later in the tournament where you'd maybe want that. Um, you know, I I don't think. I think Ireland, you probably want to, with Ireland, you'd probably go the way you went against Australia. Given given how ruthlessly efficient Ireland's clear out is, I don't think you can, you know, Sam Warburton once said that, you know, if a, if an attacking team does everything right, that you, you haven't got a chance of getting a breakdown turnover. And Ireland are very close to that at the minute. So you've probably got to try force those turnovers in other ways. So you're not, you're not probably not, there's, there's not going to be enough separation to, to get a jackal. So maybe you do what Wales did on Sunday night and it's about your tackle choice and you slow down the ball through tackle choice. You keep them off the grounds. Maybe you get a choke tackle. If not, you certainly restrict their ruck speed. So yeah, I, I think moving forward, I think that back row will stay the same. Just, I think, I think this start in fifteen is just going to probably there'll be changes for Georgia um, because you know injury will necessitate um, probably 
influence that in some ways and and another you know some guys might want to run out there'll be massive changes because it's you know you've got two weeks off now and then you're into a quarterfinal so I think they'll want to keep some continuity but yeah I, th- I think I think Gatlin's found his strongest team at this minute and I think that's that's the team we're going to see go however far into the World Cup just on a wider point um, obviously we saw South Africa, Ireland on Saturday night. I mean, that was that was just brutal. It was it was a phenomenal Test match. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but Wales, Australia weren't great. But we, you know, Wales didn't score forty points by accident. They they were very good. They've beaten a very good Fiji team as well. Let's let's not forget that. Um, how you know when when you look at South Africa and Ireland, do you think Wales are able to? As we said, they've got to beat Argentina probably first, but do you think that they are capable of getting to a level where they could compete and look to beat Ireland or, or New Zealand, or is that a step too far? How This is a different Wales team than the one that's played over the last four years. This is, you know, this is, a, is a good team again, a difficult team to beat. Yeah, I, I think they'll always have that opportunity. Um in the sense of his test match rugby, you know, it's a cliche, but you never know what's going to happen on the day. But I think if we're looking, you know, maybe this is sort of blue sky thinking, but if you're looking at those four teams, I think if we played New Zealand, I wouldn't be confident in the sense that we haven't beaten them for, you know, 70 odd years now. And even if this isn't a vintage New Zealand team, I don't know, it just feels, it feels a big thing to to suddenly beat them in a World Cup semi-final or, or whatever it is. If it's Ireland... I mean, again, it's probably the flip side of that, where logically we we shouldn't have any right to beat this island team right now. You know that they've been number one in the world for fourteen months or whatever it is, just consistently winning games and and looking really good doing so. And yet, you also think, well, we, we've had your number on so many occasions that in those in a one-off game in a World Cup, I, I could see us beating them. South Africa. South Africa, weirdly, of the big four, even though I think South Africa could win the tournament, of the big four, I probably feel the most com- comfortable playing because I think they they don't have a great... I, know, I mean, you've got Libbuk and uh, Willemza adding it, but they, they, they don't bring too much ball movement. And I think Wales... Wales have probably, over the last four years, have shown that they can deal really well with teams who just try to, to power through you. Um, we don't necessarily win collisions, but we we certainly are able to absorb a lot and, and, and we scramble well. And I think if you think back to any game, maybe bar the third test in South Africa last year against the box in recent years, Wales have always been close in it. And they've always, you know, they've, they've gotten to the arm wrestle, which is what they want to do. And and it's it's always been settled late on. It's always been a, a small margin. And particularly if South Africa decide not to go into any games with a goal kicker uh, like they did on Saturday night then, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a sort of a it's a weird feeling, but I, I feel comfortable against them and France. I mean, I don't know. It, it, they're they're a really tactically sound team in in the sense that you know even against Namibia they didn't really pass the ball until about ten minutes in because they were just so so determined to, to sort of kick possession away and 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 sort of stick with their structures of, of counterattacking rugby and, and territory. And obviously, if if DuPont is the massive story now and, and the pressure that comes with being hosts. But 
again, Wales have had their number in previous years, so it wouldn't shock you if we could beat them. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anyone... There's no one in this World Cup, I think, that this current group of players and Warren Gatlin will fear. That's not to say that they'll beat any of those four teams. But they'll they'll just they'll go into those games knowing that if they're hard to beat, which is, you know, again, we're coming back to that message, but that's the thing, you know, if you think back four years ago, I think the team that South Africa least wanted to play in that World Cup, I think Ranzi Erasmus might have said it in that Chase in the Sun documentary was Wales, just because they are just a tough team to beat. Um I forget who said it, but someone um, someone once compared Wales as uh, Wales in in that twenty nineteen cycle. Some some opposition coach or some someone compared Wales to a piece of chewing gum, just because they are incredibly hard to get off your shoe. And I think we're seeing elements of that again. I think, yeah, whoever whoever if we get to a semi-final, but even if we, you know, even Argentina or, or Japan in the quarterfinals, you just know that this Wales team aren't really going to go away until the 80th minute. I think that's, that's, that's the biggest thing they've got going for them. And that's, it, it's that typical Gatlin trait. And I think that's why it's fascinating to see, you know, how far they'll, they'll go now. But yeah, certainly, you know, <laughs> Six months on from from the, from the uh, the Six Nations that we experienced, I think three wins from three is just yeah. When you sit back and and, and look at that, that's remarkable. Yeah, it is, it is remarkable as a, as a good analogy as well. But you know, you know, when you look at the the tournament as a whole, that Ireland South Africa game was scary, but great win for Ireland. But I actually took away. I watched that game back and. I'm more convinced that South Africa will win the World Cup despite losing our test than Ireland. It's it's interesting because I know obviously Wales is our focus, but you know if Paul Ludd plays, you know he probably kicks at least four out of those five kicks they missed. Obviously, Manny Leboc and Valencia, they Manny Leboc especially brings a different dimension and attack to you know, Paul Ludd doesn't bring that. But if Paul Ludd plays. I think South Africa win that game. And I just think there's this big narrative that, you know, Ireland are a great team, they're a phenomenal team, but I I just I just feel there's some twists and turns to come in this competition. It's not going to be as cut and dried as Ireland will meet South Africa again in the final. If they do, I'd back the box. But um, I don't know, I, I, I just feel that in one of those quarterfinals or one of the semifinals, there'll be an upset. I, I just feel that this World Cup has got there's some twists and turns to come and um, I'm not for one minute saying the Wales are going to cause that upset by the way but you know everybody's talking about already you know Ireland will, will play Wales in the semi-final uh, etc but New Zealand okay they, they, they haven't got a great record against Ireland recently but you look at the backs they got on any given day you know they get that period that red hot 20 minutes where they can burst away and score three quick tries they haven't got the physicality they used to have obviously but I, I just feel that this competition has got got a lot of twists and turns to come so um, yeah it should be quite exciting No absolutely I think you know you look at all the teams that are left um, I mean right now it feels like people aren't talking about New Zealand heading into a quarterfinal against Ireland which is mad when you think you know four years ago Ireland imploded in the pool stage and got hammered by the All Blacks 
when it was, you know, their best chance to to, to do well in a World Cup. You know, four years ago now, it's almost the opposite, where Ireland, uh, New Zealand have ended up losing their pool stage game and, and their sort of, their punishment is facing Ireland and, and they're probably a bit fearful of it. So, you know, they, they, like you say, there's going to be lots of twists and turns. I think France, you know, the, the front pages of the papers out here are still DuPont um, watching TV the other night after the um, the South Africa game and they've 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 got CGI graphics of his skull where they're putting the mask um, on on the news. It's you know it's, it's remarkable uh, <laughs> watching some of it. I mean, in, England Fiji. I think could be fascinating. I think Fiji will will grow in confidence if they they the longer they go into this tournament. They got two they got two games coming up back to back now where they can really just build momentum and then go into that England game. And England are getting a lot of stick, but maybe they're starting to buy into to what Borthwick wants, which is again just to be quite a tactically sound, if not massively thrilling team, and that could do them well in the knockout stages. So, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to sort of see as we head into sort of the second part of these pool stages how things fall into shape and and where teams are left heading into the, into the quarterfinals. But yeah, there's there's bound to be twists and turns yet to come. Um, I mean, Scotland could Scotland can beat Ireland and uh, Ireland are out. <laughs> That would be uh, that'd be a turn up for the books. But you know, in on England, right? Their their form at the moment, their, their performances aren't good enough to beat the top teams, but they're winning games. You know, and like Wales, the confidence is growing, uh, momentum's growing, and they a confident team is a is a dangerous team. And obviously, you know, if they came up against Fiji, I think Fiji'd have a good chance. But I think that'd be a fifty fifty game. And if if England got through that, um. They're a team that's capable of causing an upset in the semi-final as well. So, you know, I, I think people may, maybe have been a bit premature ruling England out, but here's another question for you. If Antoine Dupont is injured, can France still win the World Cup? Ooh. Because um, there is some depth there, isn't there? No one in, in yeah, the there is, class. There is, there is depth, but I just think, I mean, they've, they've lost a lot of their spine. Um, if you think of the players they've lost um, in terms of obviously him and Entomac, um a few players in the pack as well. Um, I just I would say they probably won't. If Dupont yeah. is out, I don't I don't think they will. Um, but yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I I think I think by the sounds of it, I think he's gonna play with a mask and I think they'll be they'll be quietly confident he can he can play certainly they don't need him for another three, like two two weeks three weeks it's the quarterfinal that's when they need him yeah and you could probably get away with playing him in the quarterfinal and maybe not playing the semi-final such as the draw you know if, yeah. <laughs> if Dupont plays two games in this World Cup there's, there's still a chance they win the World Cup um, you know I think someone made the point Dan Lydia played with a metal plate in his face in 2015. And that was yeah. probably, only a, probably only like a week or two after having the injury. Um, played a quarterfinal against South Africa. So, you know, these these things can be done and I think they'll they'll put everything into Dupont being fit. If he isn't, I'd probably say they, they won't. Just because the competition of the, the box 
and uh, an island is is so strong. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to uh, to see what happens in the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, the main the main takeaway I think is that the Wales are in a quarterfinal, which we didn't always know that we'd be able to say, you know, weeks or months ago and um it's all looking good and i think that's where we'll we'll end this podcast today uh steph's been a pleasure as always um hopefully they're not working you too hard with uh oh, there's no there's no <laughs> let up there's no let up here <laughs> yeah well uh it's the same out here but um i don't know i might go look at the eiffel tower for a few hours or something and uh as the uh as wales's tournament sort of comes to a bit of a halt now we haven't got a game for another 12 13 days uh got a week off uh before the georgia game uh but of course well you playing. you've got a week oh, off. I, I don't know if i've got i haven't got a week off maybe two days but um but wales have got a few days off now they're going to disneyland they're going all over france but of course the uh, the tournament doesn't end and then all that doesn't end and for all the latest um updates and news you can of course catch it all on Wales Online if you have enjoyed the podcast do make sure to give a review uh, and um, on, on whatever platform you listen to it really does help us out but until the next pod goodbye